It's from Hebrews 10, ESV version 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, good morning. Thank you for the reading, Joe. Uh, Short and sweet today, but I am going to uh, go all over the place. So make sure you've got your Bibles open and get ready to flick. Um, If you've not been around for the past couple of weeks, we are in the middle of a series entitled Spiritual Rhythms. And we've been looking at those strong and regular patterns of behaviour um, which can benefit our spiritual lives, that hidden part of ourselves. So the first week we looked um, what it means to really follow Jesus, what it means to be wholly committed to him um, and to follow him and submit to his authority in every area of our lives. And I read to you from um, the message paraphrase of Matthew 11, which says, Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me, work with me, and watch how I do it, and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And this is an offer that Jesus makes to all of us, to walk with him, to watch him, to learn how he does it, and to learn those, those spiritual rhythms, those ways in which we can live um, that benefit our spiritual life. So we've been looking at the life of Jesus. Um, last week we learned that Jesus liked to regularly withdraw from the world around him uh, and reconnect with his heavenly Father. We read in Luke 5.16 that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And we spoke about the importance of keeping ourselves grounded in our relationship um, with God. And not being led astray by other people's expectations of us. And we spent some time considering how to intentionally create space in our lives for God. So I hope you found that useful this past week. Um, The spiritual rhythm I want us to consider this morning is the rhythm of fellowship. It's going to be a four-point sermon today, so when I get to the fourth point, you'll know we're nearly there, if that helps. Um, Fellowship, I think, is one of those words which over time has lost some of its meaning. Some of the original intention behind the word has gone missing. It's like the word literally. You know, people say, I can't believe you did that, I literally died. No, no you didn't. But when we think about fellowship, and in particular when we think about Christian fellowship, what comes to our minds? I guess for many of us that have been around church for a long time, we perhaps think about that 15 minutes at the end of a service where we desperately try and speak to all the people we need to whilst simultaneously trying not to scold ourselves on a cup of coffee drank out of a polystyrene cup. Or perhaps you think about that that midweek group, that life group you have, or that youth group you have. But my guess is it's something 
some kind of meeting with a social element, something that you attend. And I think we imagine that because for a lot of us, that's what the word fellowship has come to mean. But this isn't the kind of fellowship that we see in the Bible. It's not the kind of fellowship that I want to explore with you this morning. The first time the word fellowship is used in the Bible is actually in the book of Acts, chapter 2. That's your first cue to flick. And it's a translation of the Greek word koinonia. Um, And if you look towards the end of chapter 2, at verse 42, it says this. um, They, so that's those that had chosen uh, to follow Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, personally, I can't imagine being devoted to drinking out of a polystyrene cup. So what exactly were they devoted to? What did fellowship look like for them? Well, if we read on, it says this. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to, uh, and gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we can see that this is a little bit more than the 15 minutes that we have at the end of a Sunday morning. This goes much, much deeper If we just think about for a moment everything that's contained in those few short verses, they saw signs and wonders. They had a common purpose. They shared their resources. They met together daily. They broke bread and they ate together. They praised God together. They looked after each other. And the result, uh, Acts tells us, is that they saw many people coming to faith. So this is fellowship on a biblical scale both literally and figuratively. You can see what I did there. This passage paints for us a picture of a group of people who are wholly committed to each other, far beyond a Sunday morning or a midweek group. A community of believers who have chosen to orient their entire lives around a common purpose, who are committed to loving and caring for one another, the result of which is people coming to faith. And this kind of fellowship is, is the same kind of fellowship that the writer of Hebrews tries to encourage, <clears throat> which is what Joe read to us at the start. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So this is the kind of fellowship that I want to explore this morning in four points. And this kind of fellowship was uh, part of Jesus' life as well. We see very early on in Jesus' ministry that he intentionally surrounds himself with people. There were lots of people that followed Jesus, but there were 12 that Jesus selected to have close fellowship with. It was Peter, Andrew, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Thaddeus, Simon, and two guys called James. It was a popular name at the time. And these people become the fellowship of Jesus. So in the Lord of the Rings, you have the fellowship of the ring. Yes, this is the fellowship of Jesus. 
I'll apologise in advance. There are a few Lord of the Rings references this week. If you haven't read it or seen the films, sorry. <laughs> so what can we learn from the fellowship of Jesus? Um, what can we learn from looking at how he did fellowship with his disciples? Perhaps something that can aid us in our understanding of the word. Point number one. They had a purpose. So fellowship with other believers is not about socialising. Sorry. Um, That's not to say Jesus didn't socialise. There's plenty of examples of him doing that. In fact, one of the main criticisms levelled against Jesus by the religious rulers was that he ate and drank with tax collectors and sinners. So he definitely socialised, but his fellowship was formed with a purpose. In Lord of the Rings, the fellowship was formed with a mission to return the one ring to Mordor, to the fires of Mount Doom. Jesus' fellowship was formed with a different purpose. Turn with me to Matthew 4, and I'm going to read from verse 18. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Makes sense. And then what does he say? He says, Come, follow me. And we will get pizza on Friday nights together. (laughs) Not quite. He says, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. So the fellowship is formed, not just so that they could hang out, but so that they would have this specific purpose, this common goal together. Jesus wants to teach them how to fish for people. Don't panic, it's a metaphor. It means how to bring people to God. And to achieve this, they were, had to become more like Jesus. That's why they were called his disciples, because they were learning to be more like him. Watch me, work with me, walk with me. That's what he says. Now, a fancy term for this is uh, spiritual formation. And Dallas Willard defines spiritual formation as the spirit-driven process of forming the inner world of the human self in such a way that it becomes like the inner being of Christ himself. So the purpose of Jesus' fellowship was to become more like Christ. And the mission never changes. From the moment that he meets his disciples, right until the the time when he leaves them, some of the last words he says to them is, go and make disciples of all nations. He may as well have said, go and keep fishing. Keep bringing people to God. So point number one, first and foremost, Christian fellowship is about a group of people who come together with a common purpose. The purpose of growing in Christ-likeness. Point number two. They made it personal. So there were 12 um, that Jesus chose to be part of his fellowship. And out of those 12, there were three who Jesus chose to be really close with. His BFFs, if you like. His inner circle. Peter, James and John. And uh, it was these three which Jesus shared the most of himself with, revealed the most of himself to them. Um, Let me give you a couple of examples. Flick forward to Matthew 17. And I'm going to read to you from verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, uh, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah 
talking with Jesus. And, and Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll, I'll put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked, they saw no one except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So it's a little bit of a strange story. um, But what we see here is a God-given affirmation of Jesus' divinity. This is my Son who I love. And the same thing happened, actually, as Jesus started his ministry, as he was baptised by John. But now Jesus chooses to share this moment, this incredible, glorious moment, with these three disciples, before it's revealed to the rest of the world. I mean, what a privilege it must have been to have been selected by Jesus to come with him and have that, that mountaintop experience. Incredible. Truly, that must have been um, a highlight of their lives. Um, now flip forward with me to Matthew 26. And here we find Jesus on the eve of his crucifixion. And verse 37 says this. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, it's the same three people, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell to his face and prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Heartbreaking moment in Jesus' ministry. And as much as he shared with them the highs of the mountaintop experience, he now, at his absolute lowest wants them there with him again. In the highs and in the lows. And I don't, know, I don't know what comfort they provided to Jesus in that time. Probably very little. In fact, a few verses later we find that they've, they've fallen asleep. But if nothing else, his relationship with Peter, James and John demonstrates to us the deep need that we have for fellowship. In Romans 12, which is this incredible chapter about how to live in fellowship with one another. We haven't got time to go into it this morning, but read it at home in the week. Um, Paul writes, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Be there for each other when times are good, when times are bad. When times are easy, when times are tough. Just coming back to Lord of the Rings one last time, I promise. There's a scene at the end of the book where Frodo's strength is failing and he's barely hanging on and he's crawling on his hands and knees and his best friend Sam, who was part of the fellowship, he, he looks at him and Tolkien writes that in his heart he wept. And he turns to his friend and he says, Come, Mr. Frodo, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you and it as well. And we can't, you know, we can't take away Frodo's burden, but he can help him bear its weight. If Jesus, who was the Son of God, didn't go solo, what makes us think that we can? We need other believers around us who can carry the weight when things get too much to bear. 
Point number three. They were far from perfect. Far, far, far from it. Sometimes I think people don't come to church because they imagine that the people are here, it's attendees, they're just a, a bunch of, of goody two-shoes who, who turn their noses up the moment someone utters a, a profanity. I've actually heard people saying, oh, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. And you know, I want to say, no, <laughs> no you're not. And neither am I. That's the whole point in Jesus' coming. Because none of us are good enough. The reality is we are all imperfect people. I'm really sorry if you came here this morning feeling that you were the perfect person. But you're not. I'm not. Far from it and neither are you. And the people that Jesus chose for his fellowship weren't perfect either. They had so many flaws, character flaws. Peter was impulsive. John was ambitious and judgmental. James was short-tempered. Matthew was unpopular because he had a dishonest career. Simon was a, a zealot. Thomas was unbelieving. I could go on. Even when it came to fulfilling their purpose of being more like Jesus, they failed. If you just flick back to Matthew 17 for a minute. Verse um, 14, Peter, James and John, they've come down the mountain. um, And then it says, uh, When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures, seizures and he's suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. They couldn't do it. They were supposed to be becoming like Jesus, and they failed to do it. Later, the disciples even asked Jesus, why Why couldn't we do it, Lord? And he says, because you have so little faith. They wanted to do the right thing, but their faith was not strong enough. And I get that. You know, being a follower of Jesus is hard, actually. Especially today. And it's really hard to be a follower of Jesus and not be in fellowship with other believers. In fact, I'd go as far as to say it's impossible. I tried it once. I tried being a Christian apart from the fellowship of other believers and it was so hard. And my faith only survived because there were Christian friends around me who were not prepared to let me go who met with me and prayed with me and in a very real way carried me through a difficult time and I honestly don't think I would be here if it weren't for them today the passage that Joe read to us from from Hebrews the start says let us consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds we are imperfect people who fail often I know I am, so I want to encourage those around me. I want to spur those around me on to love and good deeds. And I want to be encouraged and spurred on myself. I need to be lifted up. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12 reads, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labour. If either falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who fails, falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if we lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three is not easily broken. We're better together. And Jesus knew how tough it was going to be for his disciples. He warns them. He says, you know, expect hardship. Expect persecution. And that's why he puts us together in fellowship. So we need to to encourage each other. Point number four. 
They didn't ignore problems. A little bit earlier on in the letter to the Hebrews, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Peter, one of Jesus' BFFs, one of his closest three, turned against Jesus. He turned away from him before his crucifixion. He denied even knowing him, not, not once, not twice, but three times. And later on, after Jesus has risen from the dead, he meets with his fellowship for breakfast. And it says in John 21, verse 15, When they had finished eating breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. And you notice he uses his full name, so we know he's in trouble. Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these? And he doesn't ask him once. He doesn't ask him twice, but he asks him three times. Peter turns away from Jesus three times, so Jesus brings him back three times. Jesus loves him enough to hold him accountable for every single denial. And in doing so, he restores Peter to the fellowship. Jesus could have chosen to ignore Peter's denial, but I think he knew him well enough to know that this is something that needed to be dealt with head on. Something that needed to be fixed. You see, fellowship isn't just about saying nice things to each other. It's not just about encouraging each other. And it's not just about being there for each other. It's also about fighting for each other. Dealing with the sin in each other's lives and holding each other accountable for our actions. I don't know if you've ever made yourself accountable to another believer, but I can tell you that it is the best way to keep your spiritual life in check. To know that there is someone looking over your shoulder in love. And often it's the case when we, when we do that, when we go to that depth of relationship with our friends, we, we find that people are dealing with the same issues that we are. C.S. Lewis said that friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, What? You too? I thought that of no one but myself. You know, last week when we were speaking about spending time with God, um, Tim ended the service by suggesting that we should challenge each other in the week about this. We should be willing to say, you know, what has God been saying to you this week? How have those times been? And I think that's great. One of my questions to us this morning is, do we love each other enough to ask each other the difficult questions? To call sin out of each other's lives? Or do we just allow people to go quietly into the night? I just wonder what would have happened if Jesus hadn't dealt with Peter in the way that he did. Would the guilt and the sin eventually have eaten him up? I wonder how many people we know that used to be a follower of Jesus and no longer do. What happened? Did we fight for them hard enough? So where does this leave us? Hopefully, with a better understanding of what fellowship is. Not just a meeting with a social element that we attend once or twice a week, but a community of believers who are committed 
to each other with the common goal of growing in Christ's likeness. Who were prepared to be there for each other in the lows and the highs, to carry each other when times get tough. Who know that they're not perfect, but actively seek ways to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. And who love each other enough to deal with the sin in each other's lives by calling each other to account. I think this is the rhythm of fellowship. This is what we need to be looking for in our lives. And perhaps this morning we need to ask ourselves some questions. Do we have this kind of fellowship in our lives? And if not, why not? Do the people that are in our life help us to be more like Jesus or less like him? That's a tough question, isn't it? Do we have those around us that encourage us in that way? Do we have the kind of friends who will be there in the high and the low? Or are we those kind of friends to other people? How might we go about spurring each other on towards love and good deeds? And do we make ourselves accountable to each other? You know, maybe, maybe this morning there is some sin in your life that you've been struggling with for a long time. And, you know, you're just finding it really hard and you're thinking, I'm just on my own with this. I'm the only one carrying this sin. Maybe this morning you need to, to meet up with one of your close Christian friends and say, I need to make myself accountable to you. I need you to look over my shoulder on this issue because I'm struggling on my own. Maybe, you know, you'll have that, oh, you too moment with them. And you can just carry each other through a difficult time. It's important. Do we know someone who's, who's struggling that we should be fighting for? Someone that's perhaps walked away that we should be going after and helping them back. There's a lot of questions to reflect on there this week. And I'll, um, I'll put them with the, the podcast. I know we're not meeting in life groups this week. But if you want to just spend some time this week reflecting on those questions, then um, they'll be online. And just before I close today, I want to come back to um, Acts chapter 2 where we started. It said that they devoted themselves... Hold on, I'm behind on my PowerPoint. There we go. It devoted themselves to the teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts, broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. And then right at the end of the chapter it says... And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The point is that biblical fellowship is good for the gospel. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you and by that everyone will know you're my disciples. Seeing people sacrificially giving their lives for each other in this way, in this fellowship, demonstrates to people the love of God. I'm so looking forward to Alpha over these coming weeks because it's an opportunity to invite people into our fellowship, to introduce them to the love of God through the love that we demonstrate to each other. I think that's one of the, the great things about doing this Alpha course together as a church.
Let's um, close in prayer.